The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyad. All right, very good. As usual, thank you to everybody for joining and the continued support, despite some of the insanity on Twitter. I was originally going to do this conversation with Knife a week from now, but given the news around OPEC Plux, he figured it would be a good time to bring that up earlier here. This will be available on all of your favorite podcast platforms under Lead Lag Live. My name is Michael Gaia, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Naif Eldandani. Naif, I don't know too much about you, but I know a lot of very smart people think that you're very smart. So I'm excited for this conversation. But introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? Where are you located? How did you get involved in the oil space? And what are you doing now? Well, thank you, Michael. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, guys, in, in the globe. Uh, I would introduce myself as Naif Eldandani with two decades experience in oil uh, and gas. It's very important to me that I start saying that I do not represent any government. I do not represent any company here. I do not represent any entity. I represent myself and based on my experience and my engagement. I came from a background with petroleum engineering and with uh, with economy based. That's what I studied. That's what I work all my life in in the in the oil gas field. I worked in multiple locations and multiple geographical area around the the globe in the U.S., Europe, Africa, Middle East. I've been engaged with different media stream. And I've been giving some ideas and statements about the oil and gas. That's me. I mean, I do want to spend time talking about myself. I think we have hot topics for today that we wanted to tackle and address. Okay. And and just so the audience is clear, it's so unclear. So what is exactly petroleum engineering? When you say you're a petroleum engineer, what, is, what does that entail? So that's that's my bachelor degree that I graduated from KSU as as a petroleum engineer. Then I started working in multiple organization in the oil field. Then start focusing on the oil and gas analysis and studies related to the dynamics in 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 the oil market. Okay. Now, as far as oil and gas analysis, I, I always go back to this point that. There's always an aspect of, you know, let's call it garbage in, garbage out when it comes to looking at data, which is fragmented, coming from a lot of different sources and where there might be incentives to hide the the underlying reality or truth. I'm just curious, and we'll get into OPEC plus here in a second here. 
Naif, but how do you think about data quality when it comes to analyzing the space, which has a lot of implications on geopolitics, on inflation, on economies? How do incentives differ across different countries in terms of what they're revealing as far as their own oil and gas dynamics? Well, I see, I, I see good, good studies, uh, good analysis around this topic and, and, and about the dynamics, the production rate, and, and how the future of the, the collision of OPECAB loss. However, there are a lot of misleading information related to this group. And it's very important that we illustrate and, and, and clarify since most, yeah, I mean, most of the things that I read recently, it's just lacking the deep knowledge about how things ro- work inside the group when it comes to the, rela- the relationship between those countries and the aim and objective and how, how these decisions process been, been taken whether it's a related increase or decrease in those numbers. So there are there, are there some good, good analysis and good studies and, and really enjoying reading them and, and listening to them. But in the same time, I think that the deep knowledge about how things work, especially, I would emphasize on this, especially when it comes to the decision-making process inside the group. So that's exactly, we will talk more about it. And we will illustrate about how things being taken, especially those decisions and how the relation work between the, the countries. Okay, so let's actually get into that right away because this relates to the most recent news. And this point about how decision-making occurs, I think, is interesting, especially when we're talking about you know different cultures. So I'm Egyptian, but I'm born in the States. The West has a very different mindset than the Middle East. And I, I find myself having kind of walked both cultures that there's often misunderstandings of how the two view each other, right, just culturally. First, talk us through the decision-making process historically among OPEC, OPEC Plus members, and how that may have changed over time, that decision-making process. Okay. I think I will start with what happened recently, if you allow me to, and then we'll go through it because this is a very good example to start with when it comes to the decision-making process and what has been considered in the in the recent the decision being made with, with cut production by 2 million barrels. Look, I, I know that there are a lot of notes and ideas about applying around that. It's again a stop. Biden, this is against U.S. administration. This is probably siding with Russia. I mean, a lot of scenarios you could do, but probably you heard it and, and you saw it recently, but I don't think so. I, I don't think it's about U.S. administration. It's not about Russia currently. I think what is happening right now, what led to the decision, and, and, uh, and I will speak in, in a bit on and, and the decision-making process, what has led to that is the recent development in the global markets in general, not only oil market for, for itself. It is Obecoblos versus the Fed, and that's how I see it. It is not Obecoblos versus Biden. It is not ab- uh, about Obecoblos versus uh, U.S. administration. It is, is not Russia. I think what happened recently with with the Fed uh, increased dramatically the, the the rate of interest that that had impact in every every market 
stock market, oil market, every every market in the globe that it has affected. So what? Well, they wanted to be ahead of the game. They wanted to just to make sure that that they are not trapped in those recession that 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 cut all the efforts has been built in last two years when it comes to the market stability in, in oil and gas. So it's very, very concerning what is happening on the decision being made with the Fed. That's a key driver for the decision. The other key driver as well, and I want to just emphasize on this, we don't have a safe, well, let me call it a safe a production capacity, meaning that now we have a slim spare capacity. Everybody in, in, in the world, uh, probably including Saudi Aramco CEO recently, he said we don't have enough spare capacity and production rate continue to decline among Obaka Plus and others. So it is just it, the, the key drivers is one of the key drivers is the, the production capacity or the safe capacity that could come to the market and, and solve any any problem that it could face the market. So this is this is the two keys for me that led to that decision. Now when it comes to the the to the, the decision making process in, in, in OBAC, we heard it from Saudi energy minister. He said it, he said it clearly that it is with everybody agreement is not about Russia and Saudi is not a duet to as he called it, is not about we impose decisions among the other. If if someone probably heard the, the press conference and heard what the Congo hydrocarbons minister, what he said as a response of one of the journalists when he said that why you are doing this while the West is suffering from price and suffering from lack of energy. And he was clear, he said, we support these decisions because, because of the reason that we mentioned. Also, he said, we have a fiscal plan. We have a country. We have a people to look after. We are not going to trap ahead in a major issue just because of one of those countries or of the, the West is, does want us to continue just open the tab for more oil. And he said clearly that the poverty of the energy means to us that 600 people, they don't have the, any access to electricity, zero, zero access to electricity. And they also he got 900 million people, they don't have access to modern gas. So this is how, how it goes inside, in, inside the Obaka Plus, and they continue. They continue emphasize on the fact that the price is not a factor, never being discussed as a price. In fact, he gets upset, the Saudi minister and one of the waiters, the representative, because they talked about the price that he never mentioned it. He never, he never spoke about it. So price is not a key driver here. I know that the people, they want to, they see multiple things about that. This is the target. They wanted to keep it in this cap. They wanted to keep it in this level. But the reality is we have a huge threat a huge threat from recession that could affect the oil market. Also, we don't have a spare capacity that we need it. Badly, we need it to save the world if any crisis could happen. Okay, take us back a little bit to 2008, right? Because 
the move lower in oil prices is a bit reminiscent to what happened. You know, I think it was starting around the second half of 08 before Lehman Brothers. I don't recall what the OPEC reaction was back then, but are there any similarities in terms of that decision-making process around OPEC members to that prior period where oil collapsed before the recession really, really hard, hard in a hard way took place? Well, Michael, let me tell you this. I mean, OPEC is completely different than OPEC Plus that we see right now. At that time, we didn't have OPEC Plus. We had OPEC. OPEC was about all the contribution from Saudi Arabia at that time. We had the multiple issues related to how how we how the, the commitment from the countries within OPEC before OPEC Plus. The mechanism of chasing and tracking uh, the production rate was was a big issue. The, the Saudi Arabia was taking a big chunk and, and a big commitment and putting a lot on, on the shoulder to balance the market. So they they've been what they've been doing at that time, they cut voluntary the production in order to stabilize the market. Now, it's completely different. Now we have Obaka Plus. I think we, even we didn't see it in 2014. Well, I mean, from we recovered from 2008 crisis until mid of 2014, where the, the, the price cycle, we thought it was a price, price cycle when the, the price dropped sharply to the 30s level. I think that that period was was very good period for the oil and gas industry. I mean, price is high, activity is high, everybody enjoying the high revenue, the, the high profitability around the, the world. Now, from 2014, we've seen that the mechanism that we that OPEC used to have is not effective, is not efficient. That's why they came up with the group with, with the with the agreement with the that the, the, we call it opica plus it is not effective as much as we get a major producer such as russia to get them commit what what OPEC is also committing to because what happened michael at, the, at that time they were enjoying the free ticket i mean opica plus uh, reduced the production try to balance the market and once the price is up, someone enjoying the whole effort. And that's, that's an issue. That's an issue. And I think it's, it's no longer acceptable by key countries that they are really having that, a major contribution and someone else is, is enjoying, in, enjoying what they did. And now Obica Plus is more effective. They have a mechanism. They have GMMC. GMMC, this is the, the Joint Ministry, Ministerial Monitoring Committee. This is very important committee. They chase, they track the compliance, meaning they have a technical team. They know what every country has produced and export, and then they track it down. And that's why we see a compliance report every a single meeting or every single month, which is now it became two months, not a month monthly basis. So the mechanism has been completely different since we we had the crisis in two thousand and two thousand and eight. Now we are we are dealing with a group that is really taking it seriously, taking it in in, in a frequent basis engagement. They gauge, they involve. They are very close to the market. At that time, we were, 
I mean, OBIC was not too close to the market as much as we do right now with OBIC Plus, and the mechanism completely was different. You said something which is interesting, which I thought was a good way to frame. You said it's OPEC Plus versus the Fed, not against the administration. We'll talk about the Biden administration in a moment here, but who would win in that fight, right? Because you don't really see a slowdown, at least in the U.S. economic data. I mean, today the jobs number was still showing robustness. What are your thoughts on sort of OPEC winning that battle against the recession fears with the Fed hiking rates and the demand destruction on oil, which the Fed wants to see? Yeah, well, l- let me just give more clarification about the, my statement about what the plus versus the Fed. What I mean is not the Fed itself, it's not against the Fed, it's about the market, about the steps that have been taken and affecting the whole market. We know that there, is, there are high inflation, inflation rates. We, we see the interest rate. I mean, the, John Powell said clearly that he is going to increase it in November. They may increase it also in December, and we are going to go higher with the interest rate. And the consequences are... We just get us closer and closer to the recession. So Obica Plus see what is being doing at that side. See that we we are really getting dragged to to the recession cycle. So what is happening here? We they need to be proactive. Well, and, and he said it that that it's it, we do it now rather than being sorry in later time especially with the huge decline in the Obacoblus group production rate. So what is happening right now is there's no meaning. You cannot, you cannot increase the production. You cannot even maintain it right now. While you are 3,600,000 million, 3 barrel a day shortfall. So what is happening is preventive right now to adjust the production and to the level that they did in order to serve two purposes, which is the recession threat and the safe spare capacity increase in order to let the, the, the countries and the world feel more safer about the safe spare capacity. All right. So how do you think this is going to impact some of the domestic policies? Biden, I think, basically alludes to the idea that, you know, the U.S. needs to be more reliant on our oil than what's going on with OPEC. And, of course, they expressed disappointment, which to me is bizarre because speaking about fighting the Fed, I mean, the administration has been fighting the Fed, too, with the strategic petroleum reserve, right, being used. Talk about the interaction of U.S. energy policy to how that factors into that decision-making process by OPEC Plus and, and who would win in that battle for who controls oil? Look, Michael, I think, I think the options are really limited there's now. I mean, there's no more optionality in, at, the, at the side. Look to this CPR. We have limited, I mean, it's the lowest, at the lowest point since 40 years back. So we, it's less than 400 million right now. Where we well, the level should be at six six hundred million and and SPR. So we we I don't know if he, they continue doing that. I think that will be will be a major mistake if they continue draw from from the spare capacity or or reserve strategic strategic reserves because what is happening they offered two hundred million to Obacoblus. I mean, one of the deal that they offered to Obacoblus in order to not really go ahead and and reduce the productions was give them two hundred to two hundred million barrel 
in order just to uh, come down and increase the the global demand but that's that's only only five days or four days from production rate of OPEC is is not is really nothing and it's not gonna to do any major impact on the market. When it comes to the prices right now, we see an increase in the prices. It's 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 hitting now to ninety six. I mean, I just looked at the price. It's it's about ninety six, and I think it will will go back to three digits simply because because the spare the 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 SPR now is is very down. If he wants to go down further with it and draw further with it, I think it's gonna impact the the local demand and impact the price in, internally in the U.S. France, for example, called back eight million barrel of diesel that they contributed to within the plan of Joe Biden and other countries to draw from strategic reserves. So everybody, I think, is limited with the option right now. It is just we wait until the market gets stabilized and hope that the recession is is get delay or or get away from us. I'm curious if you've ever done any work looking at how oil price movement or maybe OPEC or OPEC plus decisions how they might impact currency volatility because you know, I've, you know, I've had Dr. Anas G before we did a space many months ago, basically saying that oil is, is the reserve currency, not the dollar. What are your thoughts on how any of this might impact various currencies and if that might maybe change the calculation a bit later as far as maybe the cuts not being or being more serious than, than people think? It is, Mike. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to highlight something very important. Thank you for for asking these questions. Now, one of the things that drive also the the, the price down, and it's all related. It's 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 all connected with the Fed, with with the interest of uh, rate. Interest goes down up, and then we go a strong dollar. The strong dollar had had a major impact on the price when it went down to eighty four. So I agree with Dr. Anas when he said about the, the oil. It is a major and it's the bank, especially with the currency related to the dollar. So we I agree with the with the comment, but it's very important right now is to watch the dollar and that because it's it is working against the 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 oil demand and working against the the oil demand and working also to push the price down. Which will be interesting because I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that, and it is an opinion, I always go back to any any talk about market dynamics is, is largely an opinion because nobody knows what tomorrow brings. But I am of the mindset that the dollar probably is it's probably seeing its near-term peak for a whole host of reasons, even though people are still bullish on it. So it's interesting that you have the cut, and then you could see maybe weakness in the dollar, which could be supportive for oil on top of the cut. So you could you can make an argument, actually, that oil could have a, a real surge uh, conceivably here. But let's go for a question. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gaia here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Thanks for the question. 
Well, they are doing it publicly, my friend. I mean, it's not behind the scene. They are doing it in public. Look what Saudi Aramco CEO said last week. I mean, he was clear that we, we, we got lack of investment. And he, I mean, those messages needs to be taken seriously and needs to be translated in a way that it, it, it go to the benefit of the, 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 whole, the whole industry, oil industry. I mean, the Saudi energy minister said that it clearly that we, we are lacking investment. We encouraging investment. We will be we will be losing about thirty percent of the production capacity now if we continue with the investment rate by twenty thirty. That's a huge thirty percent will be gone from the capacity right now. The production now, even with the scenario right now, if we let's let's go with the hypothetical scenario that it says by twenty forty we will be losing 40% of from the oil that we have right now. That means that we need to add 135 billion barrel by then in order to compensate. And that's even the rate right now. I mean, the average investment rate is about 700 billion a year that we, we go with the regular and, and the good uh, years. Now it's about less than 300 billion a year. So we are really in, when it comes to the investment, we are really in very low area. And Saudis, I, I don't think they, they they say it behind the scenes. They are saying it and they urging, they are sending messages one after one, whether it's from the CEO of Saudi Aramco, whether even from the Saudi energy minister, I mean, clearly. Well, it's a clearly that the, the group right now is doing a fantastic job when it comes to monitoring, tracking the whole activities for the, the country, the, the members of this group. So, I mean, look to the, the, to the reports that they got. They, they got, they got to three meetings. Every, by the way, let me clarify this because technicality-wise, I need everybody to understand how things work within Obaka Plus. Every time... We see a decision that a result of Roma three meetings, not only meeting. The last one is the only one that announced the decisions, which is the the, the ministries, the ministers of of Abuja Plus. But the start, the first meeting usually it's one day ahead. That what they call it the joint technical committee. The joint te- technical committee. This is from Abuja. That's very professional. That technical team they are focusing and uh, by the way they use they use eight sources not public only not their study they use eight sources just to compare where their numbers again is to, to to the other so they take those sources they took they take these studies they analyze them and then they went they they send it to the GMMMC the joint Ministerial Monitoring Committee, it is elected ministers, they evaluate that the, the, the studies and they come up with a decision that they present to the whole Obika Blaster group. So after they after the joint technical committee 
come up with comprehensive report about what the market, how the market works, what the dynamics, where, where the future of the oil, where we are heading, is it north, is it south? I mean, they consider even the production rates, uh, the, the, the economical uh, economy status around the world, and then they give it to the GMMC. And that, that after they analyze it and evaluate it, gauge it, and then they take it to the, to the whole group. The, the compliance you mentioned is very critical. That's what led to these results that we are seeing, the outcomes, because what, what is happening right now is, is they monitor every production rate for every single country. That's why you, you see the compliance at 300% in August. So 300% meaning that we are really shortfall except Saudi and, and UAE. And that's what what been discussing, what, what, the, what they discussed in the meetings in order just to make the right decision. So it's a leadership. It is a commitment from everybody. And I would call it a transparency. I mean, those countries are really aligned on, on the objective of having a market stability and balance. Not really going going high with the price, not going high with the supply, not going also deficit when it comes to the demand. Well, I think the best the best one who explained it is the Saudi energy minister. He mentioned it that it is underestimating the members of OPEC by taking this decision as a siding to Putin. He said this is a humiliating insult and it's not fair. Simply because that he said this is the group is not really following or not either Saudi Saudi and Russia imposing the decision. He said that every single country, every single member in this group is 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 important as Saudi as Russia, and they are equal when it comes to the decision. So it's not only Saudi Arabia that wants to aside Putin or side Russia. For this decision, it's a huge decision. is impacting the whole market for me in, in a positive way, in a good way, when it comes to the stability and 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 the balance. But I mean, whoever uh, I know that you are really taking it from what you are hearing it from the in, in the West media and, and some of the representative even in, in in the Congress. But but that doesn't represent the reality when we have. 23 countries, 23 members in the group, they, they all have a stake in this decision and they see the numbers and see the threats when it comes to the recession, see the, the shortfall and the, and, and the decline in the production rate. It's, it's not fair, as, as, as the Prince Abdelaziz said because it's a collective decision. It's, it's not only Saudi that would like to, to take this decision to be close to Russia. Is there anything that Europe can do that EU leaders can do to, to change OPEC's mind? I, I'm, I, you know, because obviously it's much more closer to Europeans, and obviously as winter approaches and all the concerns around electricity and and heating and energy, how how, how does Europe respond to this? Well, I, th- I think they did their part, Michael. I mean, they they made some visits. I mean, the Prime Minister of UK we, was a real. I know things change. Since then, Macron, I think, is is in contact. Look, I mean, this is, has been when it comes. It's not about only Europe economy. It's not only a U.S. economy. It's it's about the global economy. It's about the 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 threats that everybody is facing right now. I think there are there are some studies shows that the price, if 
the cut hasn't been made, I think we can see it even lower than the 80s, and it goes even lower to the 70s. So simply because we are heading to to the borders of recessions, and everybody is talking about that, it's it's happening now. It's it's we we feel it, we we hear it, we hear it in the pipeline. So it's coming. So it's no point. I mean, whether they engage as a leadership or the U.S., I think the U.S. they they, they attempt to to do it. Probably the token points. I'm not sure if everybody saw it. That there are leakage of the token points that been between uh, the White House and Treasury uh, Secretary that they wanted to offer to uh, 200 million barrels just to let Obakoblos stop from the stop them from production. And also they communicate, I think, with the leaders in the region that it's a, it's a hostile act. Everybody did his or their part in order to communicate their concerns, including Europe, Mike. But this is the result that we, we came up with. What would it take for, a, in your view, a reversal of of the cut of the policies? Is there some number that, that they want to see on oil? Is there some condition? What, what is it that would, that would cause a reversal of, of the policy? A strong. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Oil demand. If we, I, I think, if we see strong oil demand, if we see a decline and probably or a change in the Fed policy right now, probably they 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 go back and they say we are in better shape. Uh, the world economy would would react better and things will go back to to the normal. I think they will go back and 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 assess and evaluate whether we, we wanted to add barrels to the market or just continue with what, what we are doing. Remember that even, even if we are lower, low in the production, in majority of the group members, they are lower than what they are expected to produce. Some of the countries are benefiting from increase of production when it comes to, to, to oil income. So that will add to, I mean, it's not really against the whole group benefits to not go with the higher production rate or increase the capacity. And first half, Saudi announced that, that we have we have 135 billion Saudi real. Probably we need to confirm it to, to compare it to dollar as the excess income. So it it comes with the benefit, uh, and and that this came from from the production rate that Saudi has reached. So it's not a bad thing for for the countries or the members of Plus, except for the, the the members that they are not really going to add any barrels because it's it is above their capacity. They cannot do any more. I think there are many of them right now limited with that. So short answer, Michael, increase in the oil demand and easy on the easing the threat of the recession. 
I, I agree with on this. One of the probably the point uh, take me to one point about the SBR, which has ended in September. And I think Suhaib might probably also ask the questions about the U.S., the West, how they deal with that and how what, what influence and what they can do. Look, I mean, it, they've been doing what they can right now, which especially with this SPR. SPR being 180 million barrel has been drawn from from the from the SPR. So uh, it is 1 million barrel a day has been pumped into the market since April 1st and that's end in September 30th. So and Opica Plus as a react to that I mean, they said that that's their decisions, and we cannot we cannot control it. I mean, they have to do what 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 they want to do, and and Saudi Energy said it. I mean, it is their decision. Now, but when it comes to the Obakablas, also he said it clearly that we evaluate our study, and again, if they see they see the oil demand, strong oil demand comes back in December, they they will get together again in December, and they see the easing on 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 the recession threats. If they see a strong indication for the oil demand. Uh, come up then i think they will they will add more barrels but for now i think they they will maintain it until two months until december in a short answer because nothing has been efficiently worked let me put it this way i mean it wasn't efficient it wasn't effective i mean all attempts and 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 some single members or or probably a couple of members that they, they contributed heavier than the others this is a from from how to, from obec as a group now from the new process in obec blast there's no point that to get to 23 members or 23 countries with around 44 million barrels a day and commit to certain quota and certain productions without a mechanism to track and assist and engage. And 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 it's a huge, I mean, this is this is 23 countries that is about about 45% of from the, the, the world of production. It has to have a mechanism, it has to have a process where they can make the right decisions at the right time when it comes to either increase the production and 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 reduce the production process wise i may mean, think again i want to just to re-highlight that there are multiple sources energy international energy agency has been taken away from the sources it was before it was part of the sources that obec relied on but it has been taken off simply because they said they are not neutral, they, they their reports are not a purely technical, so we don't trust the, the, the source anymore. So they came up with, with, with the eight sources that they uh, they go and assist what whatever is makes sense, whatever close to, to the reality in the market and get different opinions and they collect them and go and, and assist and evaluate to, in order to make the right decision. And everybody now, I think we see only the press conference and those meetings, but there is a lot of work it, it being done before to the point to annoyance that decisions again it's not it's not on a spot it's not based on conversations or relation out of the technicality out of 
the world economy status at that time when we make the, the decision. It is when they make the decision. So it is uh, it is being taken, consider all the sources and evaluate and make the analysis about it. And track it after that, even after they make the decisions, even after October 5th, they go and track now the how the production rate goes and who is expo- exporting what, what the demand in, in China, what the demand in Europe, and, and how the global economy works. And then they come, they come up with a compliance report that tells them who is compliant, who is not. A certain buy-in to Russia got a note that they, they were not compliant. And next month was was on right level. All right. So last question on my end, which may sound like a strange question, but is there any way at all that you can spin this into a bearish argument for oil? Or is the presumption that this just keeps prices elevated no matter what because it's purely around supply? You mean refoc that decision, Michael? Is that what you mean? Yeah, in terms of the cut, is there any way that it could be that that somehow there could be something that happens that makes it actually seen oddly enough as a bearish thing for oil prices? Well, the difference, Michael, and this meeting. Look, in in September, for example, when they met in September, they cut a hundred from the production, which was nothing, I would say. But they said something. That they said it's gonna be. They authorized the Saudi energy minister to call for a meeting any moment to discuss whether we wanted to continue with that or or, or we just stop or increase. I mean, they, they were at a standby mode after September meeting. It didn't happen. This this comment did not come in last meeting in October 5th. So we, 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 we at least on my side, I, I saw the, uh, the, the, the press conference. They haven't said, they haven't announced that we are in standby and we will go back and meet if anything that would push us to consider or discuss related to the global economy or the market uh, situation. So what the, in, in this, I think they want with two months even, I don't think it's going to happen. Any anything would happen before December, simply because even they skip a meeting that should come in November. So they give us more time to evaluate it, more time to see the impact, and see how how things work. Perhaps also they want to do just to see the meeting, the Fed that would get together in, in November. And see how the impact also in 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 the world economy, but nothing would happen unless it's a major, Michael. It's 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 a something that it's really crisis disaster. But they are not gonna to come and meet and make a decision before December. No, very very well said, everybody here again. Please make sure you follow Knife. This was a phenomenal conversation. First time you and I obviously speak Knife, but we'll we'll definitely do this again. Thank you, Knife. Any any final words here for the audience? Michael, I would thank you for the space. Thank you very much for setting this up. It was very, I think the time is perfect. We clarify some issues related to the decision making a process and the intent from OBIC Plus. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the, the great questions that came up. Thanks for everybody attended this space. I enjoy it. And I definitely go again with, with you, Michael, in a different space. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. 
You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.